I'm Josh Cooperman. This is Convo by Design, and I was thinking about you this past weekend. Really. In life, we come across people who change us, shape us, change the way that we think and the way that we act. Some in small bits, others larger, but they in some way shape our journey and inform who we are and who we become. Two of those individuals left us recently. And what I find so interesting about it is that these two individuals and I interacted for, I don't know, maybe about an hour each. That's it. I only interacted with an hour for an hour with each of these individuals. And they left an indelible mark and an immense impact on my life. And that led me to think about you. Those who listen to the show, right, this podcast, it, it reminded me that that's the reason I do this, in the hopes that what I do could hopefully impact others, could make your life better that it could have that kind of a lasting impact on your life and help shape your journey. You might be wondering about who these people were. So one was actor Tom Sizemore, who you might recognize from Heat, Saving Private Ryan, and gosh, countless others. Uh, he was a fixture character actor, just an amazing actor. The second was Wayne Shorter, legendary jazz musician. So I, I interviewed both of these icons, and each had a sizable impact on me and informed the way I think about things. Wayne Shorter told me a story about how he envisioned his music as a journey. Bigger than an instrument playing notes with a band for fans an actual journey through life. This became a philosophy for him. And his story made me think about the journey that we all take, the, the work we create, and how that, how that composition changes us. Miles once said about you, he said, quote, he knew that freedom in music was the ability to know the rules in order to bend them to your satisfaction and taste. Yeah. Also, he asked me one time, he said, uh, uh, do you get tired of playing music that sounds like music? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, with that voice, you know, it had that voice. Hey, Wayne, you get tired of playing this stuff yeah, that sounds like music? You hey, get tired of that shit? How did, how did you answer that question? I said, I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what, what, what? Tell me. I'm diverting, but tell me. Tell me about Miles because when you said that, you know, music that doesn't sound like music. When when he when he recorded "Bitches Brew," it. I'll be honest with you. It completely threw me off because that was music that did not sound like music at all times. Um, is 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 that what he was going for? Trying to record something that was music that wasn't music. Yeah, the music that was not like. Um in the in the in the comfort zone that is always familiar and uh and and how, how people behave like that too 
like people like to be with their like kind and, and all kind of you know stuff like that. Yeah. But when they're out of the box, out of the comfort zone, out of these uh, artificial boundaries uh, and, and walls that have been built up uh, for centuries, and they have to deal with the unexpected and, and negotiate the unknown. That's what's happening. As I mentioned, the the second person referenced here is Tom Sizemore. He left an absolutely indelible mark on me. He told a story about being saved by a friend. That reminded me that none of us get to impact points along that journey, this journey, our journey, without others along the way. There's a story I believe you covered in your book. Uh, and I've heard that you told it before on radio, but I've never heard it myself on how uh, Robert De Niro was instrumental in in getting you help. Initially, yeah, well, yeah, well, it was the day I wrapped heat. I was supposed to go to treatment. I had agreed like a few weeks prior to that. Um, it had become apparent. My brother had been out to visit my mother. Bob was calling them because he had found he had confronted me because he knew something was wrong, and um, it wasn't that obvious. You know, he knew. And, other people were like, well, "What's what, what's going on with him?" But you know, didn't know what, didn't think it was what it was. He knew what it was. He told me what it was. He said, "You're using heroin," and I was shocked because he was right. How do you think he he's, he's, he's a kind of a? My eyes were pinned. You know, I make sure pupils dilate. Um, someone's talking to you, and you go, "Hang on." <laughs> you nod out. I mean, I didn't do any of that, but I I, I was close to doing. It. I mean, I, I was alt- I was an altered state. Um, I'm not on drugs now. I think you can tell. I'm not, I'm not in any way altered. Right. Um, my voice is, temperament is... When you're on drugs, I mean, you don't know, even know what you're doing. You, know, you think you sound cool or you look cool, and you don't. Um, they really lie to you. So anyway, um, he, he knew some of the symptoms of uh, heroin abuse, and um, I had them. And I frequently would ask to go to the restroom. You know, we have like a 10-minute setup. You know, we got a 10-minute break. My trailer's a minute away. I got time to go in there and do my thing and come back and be in time. But no one has to go to the restroom, you know, three times an hour, four times an hour. If, if, I, if in fact, I did that, but I'm sure I did. And so he confronted me, and he's not an easy person to lie to, so I didn't. I wanted to because I was ashamed. Um, did He, go he to was your, my hero. Did he go to your mother's house looking for you? Oh, no, no, no. He, I mean, he flew my mother in. He flew look, her in? Yeah, to look for me. Okay. Because I, I was supposed to go to rehab. When I got shot in the, in the movie, I got shot in the head. Yeah. Okay. I was supposed to go to rehab right after this scene. I'm supposed to go to Santa Monica, John Wayne Airport, or whatever airport, and get on a private jet that Bob has leased and fly to Tucson, Arizona, and then get picked up by the Sierra Tucson staff and driven to rehab. I've never been to rehab, right? I don't want to go, even though I wanted to quit, but I didn't want to go to rehab. I mean, it was, it was scary. It was, I'd be by myself, and I knew about withdrawal a little bit, and um, I just didn't want to go. I was scared. And... um also, I was addicted. I wanted to continue to get high. My, 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 my assistant at the time was this young kid named Glenn Schneider, who's now become one of the most successful uh, caterers in, in L.A. And Glenn, if you're listening, hey, kid, I'm sorry I put you through all that. And he was a nice Jewish kid from the Upper East Side. He had to be really long hair, and it would just drip all the time. He, was, he had to deal with me. <laughs> I was hard to deal with, and um, not because I was mean or anything. It's just I, I just wasn't always where I was supposed to be. Like when he'd come to get me up in the morning, I wouldn't be in my apartment. <laughs> he'd, have to, he'd have to find me. <laughs> get to numerous hotels in that city. <laughs> I was a young man. I had some girlfriends and stuff. <laughs> well, and I wasn't, to, I wasn't trying to be found either. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't trying to be late, but I wasn't helping him to find me. The poor guy was just running around like a maniac. Yeah. So, and at the time, you got girls, you got money, you're you're famous, you're I'm newly famous too, so it's all new. Yeah. So I'm doing everything I can do to. I'm trying to get all the juice out of this grape of fame I can. Right. Initially. (laughs) Anyway, I was. I told him before the last shot. I said, Glenn, I want you to drive the car, the Mustang, put the top down, and put it right here, right here by this hedge. Where we shot the scene, you know, right behind me. He said, Tom, what are you up to? I went, listen to me, mother. I pay you $1,200 a week. Bring the car over here with the top down. And when I get in it, drive away. He went, I don't want to do it. I don't want to. I went, this. So he did it, right? So I get shot in the head and I fall down. I die, right? And Pacino comes over and picks up the girl. And Michael goes, cut. And I jump up. I go, I don't get this prosthetics off my forehead. The prosthetics off my forehead. <laughs> and Michael knew about it. You know, he Bob had apprised him of it. He goes, hey, Tom, Tom, you know what you got to do, right? I'm like, yeah. So I'm walking this way, and all of a sudden, I turn, I sprint, and I dive over this hedge into the backseat of my Mustang, <laughs> and I hit the Mustang <laughs> in the backseat, and I hit my chin on the far part of the car. <laughs> anyway, and I went, drive, drive, <laughs> for a second, bank robbers, and we're driving <laughs> And poor Glenn's in the front seat. He goes, I really think it's a bad deal. I want to be part of this. I'm only 19 years old. I'm from New York. I got a nice family. I got a nice Jewish kid. Tom, what are you doing? Please stop it. I went, get a hold of yourself, man. <laughs> He's like, the camera's still rolling. <laughs> Holy cow. It was cuckoo. And I went to the, the sh- I went to Shutters. Yeah. The hotel Shutters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in Santa Monica. Yeah, I was, I was lazy. You know, like, I didn't even know I liked that hotel. I knew I liked the Lowe's and Chateau Marmont. And those were my three hotels. So, of course, he comes to the shutters, you know, within hours. And he tells the guy at the door, the, the, the desk, he goes, hey, look, I'm looking for Tom. I know he's under a different name. <sighs> Tom Sizemore's here. Tell him where he is. He's, his life's in danger. And they gave me up right away. He's in 21A. <laughs> I'm up there, you know, half naked. <laughs> it's a kite. Someone knocks on my door. I think it's somebody I called, right? And I opened the door like this. <laughs> and I closed it. <laughs> Was he there with your mom? Was your mom? Yeah. Oh, it was not nice. It was unkind. Okay. It was. It was. It was, it was not unkind. It was. I, it was startling. And anyway, I opened the door and I went to. I went and got myself together and I went off to rehab and I stayed sober for a number of years. I, I bring it up because I, I think I, I find it truly amazing. I think it says a lot about Robert De Niro. I think it says a ton about you. He didn't. He didn't have to care. He didn't have to do anything. Um, we haven't talked in a number of years. He, he talked to my mother some years ago and he said that he thought he might be part of my problem because I could always call him to help me get out of trouble to a certain degree. And, and in the beginning, that was, that was true. But once the police got involved, there was no one who could really get me out of trouble. But um, he said that he thought I had become, he was right. I had, he had become part of my problem. And so far as he would help me, I mean, you know, when I was using heroin in the movie, he didn't tell anybody. I mean, he got me through the movie. So a journey is nothing without the people along the way, Right. So I was thinking about you this weekend, and I just wanted to share that and remember two people who made a tremendous impact on me, even though we only met for a very, very, very short time. Let's get to this week's episode. This is Convo by Design, with a colorful conversation from this year's International Builder Show in Las Vegas. Nothing changes the nature and language of design more than color. While I can't see you, you are probably nodding your head. Others are shaking their heads because we in the industry can rarely agree on anything like this. And 
That's just a small part of what makes the current state of design so amazing and wonderful. We shouldn't be agreeing about anything related to design or color. The moment we all begin to love something and think it's the way everything should be, we lose finding what's next. And and I hope that never happens. I also think that very cycle is what transitions design, thought leadership, and trending ideas to the trendy, which is where I believe is when creative ideas begin their decline. It's where they go to die. The following is a conversation I had with Sue Wadden, director of color marketing for Sherwin-Williams. We were talking about color and the opportunities designers and specifiers have with Sherwin-Williams' family of products. We'll get to that right after this. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me And you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered a a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option. It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment, and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce inspired by the brilliance of Northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. So you know what's funny is, um, so yesterday I was at Vegas Market and I had this whole interview with Lisa Vanderpump and something happened to the audio. I didn't get it. Any of it? None of it. (laughs) It was fun. No, it was good. It was good. But that, you know, that happens all the time. Um, I shouldn't say all the time. It happens more often than I'd like. You know what I mean? But but you know what I've learned? Um, And I've learned this from the design community. Like, things happen. Yes. And you move Gotta on. Gotta be flexible, right? Yeah. If we've learned nothing. If we've learned nothing. In the last couple of years. So I was trying to think on the long walk over here where you and I first met, and I want to say it was West Edge. Oh, I bet it was. I bet that's exactly where it was. Yeah. Boy, was that 2018? <laughs> I don't remember. Well, I've worked with them for like eight years. I do all the programming. So it was, it was like 2018. It was 18. Yeah. It seems like a million yeah. years ago. Yeah, you look wonderful. It's so nice to oh, see thank you. Thank you. You do too. Nice to see you. And I wanted to talk to you. I'm. Uh, you were the first person I wanted to talk to when I got here because I've got a great story to, to tell you. I can't wait to hear it. So, y- you know, I, I think, I, I think that paint is sometimes an afterthought in the design process because it's like, okay, well, let's get the sofa and let's get this and let's get that and. 
Paint is is the the one thing that you can do. It's immediate. Yep. It can change everything, and it can it can warm a room up. It can cool it down. It can it can it can make it home. And if we've learned nothing over the last three years, it's that home is home, and home has a very different meaning than it did before. Yes, it absolutely does. That being said, and I want to tell you the story about. Gail Davis and our, our design house in a sec, but I wanted to chat with you first because, you know, one of the things that you do that I absolutely love is you put so much thought <laughs> into color. And it's not like, okay, here's here's a thousand colors. It's like, look, here's here's what's trending. Right. Here's some ideas. The difference between trendy and trending. Where does that where does that come from? Talk to me about the ethos behind it. Okay. Well, honestly, there's a million colors out there, right? And our goal in our forecasting is to narrow those down to be the usable, great colors that design... Is it not going? Oh, it is. <laughs> no, we're doing great. Sorry, okay. Um, <laughs> it's a, I tell you this story about Lisa, and they're like, you're okay? You're okay. <laughs> no, I've walked like six miles already, and I'm just trying to catch my breath. <laughs> so anyway, back to the ethos. Um, so our, the goal of our forecast is to just direct designers on what's new and next. So where are whites going? What's what's going on with yellows? What What's warming up? What does that even mean? Like when we talk about neutrals warming up, what does that mean? Um, and so that sort of instruction is really the biggest goal of Color Mix and our forecast, that we want to provide that guidance. Are greens, why are greens so important? Like what's the relevance? What, where does that come from? What's the research? Like what's our methodology? What's our process? And it's, um, it is a labor of love for sure, but it's really important because we want to be a tool for designers. That's my biggest goal is how can I help? You know, we, designers are crazy busy. I don't want people to just default to white as their option on walls because they're overwhelmed by everything else in the specification process. Um, so that's really, that's, that's my sort of ethos, right? That's my methodology and why I put this together and put so much time into it. Let's talk about that for a minute because resources. If we have learned nothing over the last three years, is that time is more valuable. Does that make sense? It's, it's, the time is more valuable than it was before because we we feel like we've got less of it. I, I, and I don't know why it felt like we had so much. Maybe because we enjoyed so much time while we were in lockdown, and now we're just running at hyper speed. Um, but I think there's just so much more information out there. We're so much more digital. Our clients are seeing color in a new way that they haven't seen probably in 10 years. Um, so there is a, a, a emphasis on color again, and we're really, really seeing that. You know, maybe maybe people aren't going to default to their favorite white. Maybe they're going to try a black or a deep charcoal gray or a terracotta or some other tone that is very unexpected and we haven't seen in a long time since that Scandinavian minimalism, right? Really booted color out for a decade. Uh, so I think it's a good time. It's a good time to be a designer. It's a good time to get excited about this industry again. So funny too. Um, so for years, it bothered me, the concept of a color of the year. And I will tell you why. Because I always thought, you know, designers are futurists. Yes. Architects are futurists. And Architects are designing out for 75, 100, 150 years. Right. Designers, good ones, know that their design is lasting, and they're designing for 10, 15, 20 years. Right. And so I always thought, you know, the idea of a color of the year, like this is the color you have to have this year. But I'll be honest with you, it was a learning process for me. I had to understand something. It's not about that. Mm -mm. It's not about the color this year and this is what you have to have. This is not fast fashion. It's right? not. Right. And it took me a while to, to wrap my head around it, but I but I feel like now I get it, and I feel like I understand why it's done, and and you know what galvanized that for me is when I walk around and I see appliances using color, 
It's like, guess what? If you have a good appliance, that, that green range, that gorgeous green range, that's built to last 15, 20 years. Right. The color's not going to change. You can't paint that bad boy. No. So I understand more about the, the philosophy behind the, the color. What it, talk to me about the resources that you make available for designers, because I, I think oftentimes it's a little overwhelming, the whole specification process on the FF&E side. Yes. But then you, you get to something like color, and sometimes it can be a little overwhelming for the clients. But you have so many resources for the designers that you make it a little bit easier for them. Talk to me about that a little I bit. I think what we've learned is that we just have to have no matter how a designer wants to work, we have to have a resource available. So some designers are super digital, and that's the space they operate in. So we have materials and samples available through Material Bank, for instance, right? So that they can exist in a very fast ecosystem of specification and get it like next day. There are other designers, they just want color chips, they want tools. So we've got a really robust sampling program. You can get chips in any size that you need, wherever you need it, Fandex. Um, but then our digital space also for um, behind us, you can see our, our like our, our color pages, right? There's so much information on our color detail pages outside of just a fan deck, you know. And so you can look on the back, you can see light reflectance value, you can get the digital formulas for the colors, you can find all those resources to hand, and that's what's most important to me. That no matter how you want to work, you've got what you need from from our brand. Um, so I think that is like my driving factor. Are we are we monitoring? software, right? Where we're going to have designers are going to be using in five years, we need to be there. So making sure that we do the development or the research or contact our partners, right? To get involved with those projects. That's what's really important. And that's the feedback I like to hear. So from designers, like, tell me where, where are you? How are you working and how can we support you? I'm glad you brought that up because something that's really interesting to me. So it's funny. I have been, um, I've been messing around with ChatGPT yeah. for about the last six weeks. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> it's 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 funny. It's a rabbit hole. I mean, you can just. But right now, right now, it's kind of a toy. Yes. Um, like I, I will. I I experimented with writing some articles. You know, quote, write a 500 word article about color using quotes from famous designers and and source the quotes for me so I could see them. And there was a lot of John Smith's and a yes. lot of, so it's gonna take time. It's gonna take time. But it's coming. It's pretty cool. So how, when you think about that, um, when you think about digital resources, because there's the other side of it too. The digital, like a fan deck, you've got quality control over, over your fan deck. Yes. You don't have, you can't QC someone's monitor mm -mm. to make sure that the color matches what the accuracy is. How do you approach the digital side of it? Because I, I think we can both agree, like, that's, the, that's where we're going to live in the future. It's the great unknown. So the, I went down a five-hour wormhole yesterday with Chad, with GT. I was on, I don't know, variable. I, I was on one of them. And I was trying to see, is it going to make my life easier? So if I'm doing a trend forecast and I have to write this big report, half the time is editorial, right? Like writing the color commentary. Where I'm like, all right, if I use this, will this slow, like speed up the process for me? And I think it will. I'm not, it's like you said, a wormhole, but I think that's going to really enhance our writing ability, I think. That's my opinion. But on the digital side for color, I, I just want to talk to like some tech company to say, how can you get real-time color accuracy on a screen that will like self-calibrate? Like, is there a universal language of color that each system will calibrate to, because that's the biggest problem. If you're working on a Mac or you've got a, a you know, a base level PC, like the color is just not gonna read 
the same in all those areas versus comparing to a color chip. So I think if we can kind of crack that code, that would be a huge game changer. But I, I with TBD on that, I don't know. You are listening to my conversation with Sue Wadden from Sherwin-Williams from the International Builder Show in Las Vegas this year, 2023. We'll be right back. We are living at a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors, to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Well, yeah, and it's, it's interesting, too, because, every, look, everyone's trying to figure this out. You've got, you've got AI. You've got the metaverse. You've got, I, I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing VR is going to be a complete game changer yes. for design too, because it, so. if you can ideate and then imagine and then change the scope of what design looks like in real time through VR, it's going to be interesting. And I think we have a grace period until we figure out the accuracy thing. So like you could be in a room, a digital room, right? In the metaverse, looking around saying, oh my God, I love this lavender. It's really beautiful. But if it was coded in a way that you could click on a code and get a color chip to you the next day, people would understand that it's not exactly how it represents, but you're in the ballpark. But 10 years down the road, people will expect what you see is what you get. And that's going to be the tricky, tricky point. I wish I was a tech. I wish I was a techie. It's it's crack that code. Well, it's funny. My <laughs> my son is is in college right now. He's a sophomore at an engineering school. Okay. And when he comes home for breaks and he tells me all the things that they're working on, it's just mind blowing. Oh, it's mind blowing. It's really really cool. After this interview, let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I got a kid that wants to go in that direction. Uh, I want awesome. to ask about it. Yeah. I'll tell you what I learned. <laughs> okay. Um, I wanted to shift gears for a second. So, in Tulsa for an indeterminate amount of time working on this design house project. <laughs> it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be for a year. And um, I don't know if you heard this, but there were some issues with supply chain in a few different areas. You, I, you may have heard about, about we, this. We did hear yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, wow, okay. <laughs> right. So anyway, it has turned into a multi-year project. Yes. We're doing one room at a time. We're not selling tickets to it. The, the idea was, hmm. the idea was, over the years, I learned through the pandemic that designers have to learn how to do virtual work because their clients are moving to Aspen, their clients are moving across the country or across the world. And if they want to maintain those great clients, they're going to have to learn how to do their job virtually yeah. and remotely. Yep. So went went to Tulsa and I've got designers working on project rooms from all over the country. None of them have been there. So the first room we did was the club room 
and Gail Davis of Gail Davis Designs, who I love her. She's adorable. And she is a good friend. And I, I'm just working with her is just such a dream. And so she specified for the main room mercurial. Uh, we've got indoor uh, interior and exterior. And for a small stairwell, she did uh, caviar. Yes. And when she's explaining to this, and for anyone who's listening to this, um, in the show notes, I will put a link to the episode with Gail. It's a long one. It's like two hours. But we went through the whole process, all three interviews, through the whole project. And you will hear the story of me telling her, no, it's small. You're not making it black. It's going to be terrible. She's like, trust me. We're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. Yes. that's a. I love it. And, I love her. <laughs> and that is the thing that you have to understand when you work with an amazing designer is you have to trust them, you have to let them do what they do. And she felt trust in saying that because she trusted Sherwin-Williams. Yeah. She trusted you. She trusted your product. And she knew, she had that confidence that she could do what she wanted to do with this, with this product. It, it came out amazing. Talk to me about the relationship that you have with designers and building that trust and specifically when it comes to quality of product and quality of service because they're two very different things they, and they're both present. They are. So a big part of what we do is product innovation. So making sure the colors that I visualize in my mind deliver on the walls or the or the surfaces that you're trying to cover and coat and do it in a way, you know, it's, it's not just a gallon of paint anymore. There's so much science and technology that goes into these products that those are features and benefits designers need to know about because ultimately that's how they're going to instruct their clients. Um, so that's a, that's a big part of what we do. But it's also the side of designers are our oracles, right? So we can feed them all this information, but they're the ones that are visualizing and conceptualizing and getting clients to take a risk. You know, a black staircase, like, are you crazy? That would be terrifying to a lot of people till you see it done and then it's so beautiful, stunning, dynamic that people that gives people confidence. So it's a really nice synergy between our products and designers um, because I think we need each other um, to, you know, take design to the next level. So it's it's um, very important to me that we have a great relationship and people like Gail Davis, who is from the Northeast, she, you know, when we had a conversation, boy, it's been a couple years, where she talked about, you know, she was like stuck in the white and gray world uh, because that's a lot of what her clients were specifying. And she was so excited about getting past that. And it sounds like now she's there and people are really asking her to, to kind of drive um, the boundaries of design, which is exciting. It, and it was the other things, too. It's the finer nuances. Like, it's the difference between hearing, um, you know, someone a busker playing guitar and then hearing Eric Clapton play guitar. It's different. Like they're both playing the same guitar. <laughs> That's great. Yes. But it's different. She, the way she did things like, um, so there's in the main room using mercurial, there's satin on the walls. And because this is a, a walkout club room with only one window on one side, she said, you know, we're going to go with a, and I, I want to say it was an eggshell, yeah. um, finish on the, on the ceiling because what I want I want to do is I want to draw the light in yes. and I want to raise the roof up and reflect the light right and goodness if she didn't do that um, it's exactly what it did so you've got one window it, it minimized the need to put extra lighting it, it made the design easier and I think that's the key well and designers they're professionals right they're subject matter experts so clients need to understand that those subtle nuances that may seem like a very small thing and it makes a huge impact but a homeowner's not necessarily going to know how to do that 
Um, so I think that is reinforcing the importance of designers and their role um, in creating these amazing homes and beautiful sanctuaries. You live your life in these spaces. So have a help designer come and help you really bring it to life the way you want it to. And because of that, here's the here's the disconnect. So Gail's been doing this for a minute. You know, she's yes. been she is a consummate pro. She has been doing this for a long time. But when it comes to new designers, these are the finer nuances that they don't teach you in design school. And if you're a designer, now listen, we're in a an industrial revolution of sorts, right? So post the recession in 0809 all of these new designers came into the business because they lost jobs they right. didn't want to blog anymore they didn't want to sell real estate anymore. whatever it was they right. came into design you know 10 years 12 years after that now they're at a certain level of design well we've got a new influx of young designers coming in post pandemic right we're going it's huge it's, the it's huge and how do you what is what is the resource for new designers? How do you teach them? How do you bring them into the ecosystem? How do you educate them on, look, these are things that you can do? Because again, time is an issue. Well, we're, and it's so funny that you're saying that. So number one, most important, get the tools in their hands. Um, the students are often sort of the neglected resources for manufacturers and, and brands. They think that they're not important and they're vitally important. So that's not step number one. But then it's creating content and education. So we're, we're launching several presentations that are going to be geared towards students on exteriors, kitchen and bath. Like, how do we use these great products and finishes in a space with color to enhance an interior? And I think that's what brands can bring to the conversation. It's not just color theory. It's like color in action, right? How do you use these products in a real world application to make you more successful? Because if a designer is successful, the homeowner is happy and it like is a great little ecosystem of success. So I think that's really important. We want products that perform. They don't fail. They, they look beautiful, as, as beautiful the day that you put them on the wall as they do five years from now. That's a success story. And that's sort of the subliminal way a brand can help the design experience. And last question is, how do you, how do, you do that? And what I mean is, we're, we're meeting at IBS, KBiz. Um, this, is a, this is a monstrosity. It's a beautiful, gorgeous monstrosity. Right. It, it is just, it is a monster event. There's, there's no way that someone can, can reasonably do this in a day and young designers especially don't have the resources to make it out for multi-days because they got to work right do you do you do this as a combination of digital communication do you do it in person do you work with the industry groups how do you how do you engage uh, all those things so we have really strong relationships with asid and ids and all those sort of the professional organizations and then we have a full team of designer account executives that support uh, residential designers across the country, Latin America, Canada. So those, they're, they're constantly feet on the ground, like, call me if you need anything. I can get you color tools. So our resources are all online that, that designers can find that information. But then also industry shows, just so that you can show sort of, as I'm looking out into the booth, you know, how duration is going to perform on this surface. And then we have subject matter experts here that support that conversation. So you can actually talk to the chemists, the the innovators that are developing these products to ask those really important questions. You know, LRV, like five years ago, we were not talking about LRV. And now it's really important for people to understand what it is, because that's part of the specification process. So it's really like, Things change so fast now, you have to really be in front of all of that. So our goal is just to be everywhere that we can, be in magazines, you know, giving interviews, like get the word out on what we have available. 
Well, and I'm glad we had had the chance to do that here, Sue. Thank you. It was my great pleasure. It's great to see you. You as well. It was so great catching up. Yes. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products, purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Thank you, Sue. Loved our chat. And I'm looking forward to doing this again soon. Thank you, Convo by Design sponsors and partners, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for your partnership. I truly appreciate you, and I love the way you support the design industry. For those listening who want to learn more, please check the show notes for links. Thank you for listening to the show. I, I know I know that now more than ever, there are a lot of shows out there, and you chose us. And I appreciate that. I appreciate your time. I appreciate all that, and I hope you found this episode to be a great use of your time and that it helps you uh, with your future projects, because that's my goal. So let's do this again, shall we say, next week? Okay. Until then, be well, and take today first. (laughs) 